0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وبيه نستعين ونصلي ونسلم على خاتم النبيين امامنا وقدوتنا محمد ابن عبد الله وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا الى يوم الدين اما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا انك انت العليم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم وَحْلُ مِنْ لِسَانِي My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, السلام عليكم ورحمة wa Barakatuh. Welcome to a nice round figure. Episode 10 of our series, A Blast from the Past. The seerah in the 21st century. Subhanallah. It feels like we began yesterday. Look how time flies. Time flying, brothers and sisters, is from the signs of Qiyamah. Rasulullah wasallam taught us that from the signs of Qiyamah is the coming together of time. zaman. You still have 24 hours in a day, but blessings are removed from these hours. Such that 24 hours feels like just 12 hours and 10 days feels like Five days. It is like this. You know, our grandparents would start the day with ten things to do. And by duhr, they would have finished those ten things. You and I today, we start the day with ten things to do. The day finishes and we've only done five. If Allah has mercy upon us. Subhanallah. This is from the signs of Qiyamah. And if the month of Ramadan doesn't make us realize this, then what will? Because this is a month we waited for, for the entire year. It finished and we were, you know, that last minute of last Ramadan, can you remember? Last minute of last Ramadan. I'm sure you can even remember where you were. The last minute of last Ramadan, it meant so much to you. You felt so emotional. Ramadan is leaving. It meant so much to you, right? You felt sad. Or oh, it was mixed emotions. Eid's the next day, day of rejoice, uh, of rejoicing and being happy. And then we have the end of Ramadan. Can you remember that minute? By Allah, most of us can. Because there's such a strong emotion attached to the last minute of last Ramadan, we can't forget. And already, we are about to reach the last minute of this Ramadan. Allahu Akbar. And by Allah, it just feels like six months or less. Does it feel like one year ago, you felt what you felt? Does it feel like you celebrated the last Eid after Ramadan an entire year ago? doesn't feel like that. It does not feel like that. It feels like yesterday. It feels like yesterday. Subhana Rabbi Subhanallah. And that is why Laylatul Qadr means so much more to us, brothers and sisters. It means so much more. Because... Yes, this Ummah is an Ummah that lives between 60 and 70. Yes, but the nations before, the generations before us, not the nations, the generations before us, they had a punch to their day that you and I don't have. The ibadah that they managed to do, their ibadah had a greater chance than ours. Because of the barakah being slowly removed from time. As I, I spoke about, I gave you the example of our grandparents. Today, subhanallah, you just plan to do your adhkar of the morning, your adhkar of the evening. Let's say today is Friday, you, you, you will read Surah Al-Kahf, and you will attend Jumu'ah, and how does the day finish? And you're thinking, subhanallah, I still have to read Surah Al-Kahf. Subhanallah, adhkar of the evening. But now I have to read Surah Al-Kahf, and then I have the dua, for Jumu'ah, the dua before sunset. The last hour on the day of Jumu'ah. The dua which goes unanswered. Did you not feel that today? That panic? You see how time is moving? Wallahi, it's moving. So, Laylatul Qadr means even more to us. We need to witness it. We need this night which is better than a thousand months. We need it. Wallahi, we need it. We need it, brothers and sisters. May Allah make us witness Laylatul Qadr. Ameen. Ameen. Brothers and sisters... We had an introduction, the one shared, and it was worthy. Because tonight is the first night of the last ten nights of the month of Ramadan. And it is an odd night as well. And we know that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa taught us to search for the night of power during the last ten nights. And during the odd nights of the last ten nights. And during the twenty-seventh night. And o- Only ten only nights. Ten, ten nights. And if you are diligent for one night, and that is the night, Wallahi, Allah gives you a reward no one on this earth can give you. What is the effort of one night in front of a reward of 83 years? Does it mean anything? Is that a lot of effort? Nothing. So, multiply it by 10. The effort of 10 nights, and I have the chance to earn rewards better than 83 years and 4 months. is that that any effort effort? no No, 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 no. 10 nights nights is also nothing 10 nights of of effort and the reward is better than 1000 months months. what's What's 10 nights what is 10 nights how long does it take you to build a house how much effort how much stress how much money how many how much resources are used how many days do you need think of things which matter to you in the dunya and how hard they are to come by and then think of 1000 nights only ten nights of Iban. It's nothing, right? So let's keep our heads in the right place, brothers and sisters. And as I said yesterday, let's bring it. This is the time to, to bring it. Brothers and sisters, yesterday in our episode we discussed the marriage of Rasulullah to Khadija radiallahu anha. And there were many lessons, and I only shared with you a drop in the ocean. I know you've heard me say this a lot of times, and this is true. Today, inshaAllah, we want to discuss the rebuilding of Kaaba, the rebuilding of the Kaaba, and this incident happened before Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam became a prophet. So we're still in that period before prophethood, but we're getting to prophethood. We're getting there. We're very close. Why? Because Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was thirty-five years old when this incident happened. The rebuilding of the Kaaba had to take place. The Kaaba, my dear brothers and sisters, during Jahiliyyah, as taught to us by our scholars, was made up of stones stacked above each other without any mud or clay to glue the rocks to each other. This is what our scholars teach us. There was no gluing agent between the rocks that was stacked Above each other to make up the Kaaba. So you can only imagine what mighty rocks these were. Right? Because don't forget, Mecca was in a valley. Mecca was in a valley. But we'll come to that. The Kaaba at that time also had a cloth hung over it. And, and the Kaaba, in terms of shape, at the time of the story that I'm, I'm speaking about, was in the shape of a D. You know a D? You have a. A square and then a semicircle in front, right? The capital D in the English language. If you draw the capital D in the English language. This was the the shape. This was the makeup of the kaaba, right? So think of of the cube now, and then you got the hijr, right? The semicircle in front. That was the complete kaaba, right? The cube with the semicircle. It wasn't as it is now, with half a wall detached from the kaaba. This is how the Kaaba was. Now, Makkah was a valley, as I said. And the Kaaba did not have a wall around it. The wall around the Kaaba came at the time of Umar ibn Khattab, anh, and then Uthman ibn Affan anh, is reported to have uh, widened the courtyard of the Kaaba, meaning what you and I call the Mataf. There was no wall. So, if water came down from the mountains, it would go all the way to the Kaaba and stop at the Kaaba. The wall came at the time of Umar. Why? Because Umar felt that every home has a courtyard, and people were keeping their homes too, making their homes too close to the Kaaba. He says the Kaaba deserves a courtyard, so he bought out those homes. He bought out those homes and demolished it. This is what he did. This was a leader, Umar al Khattab, Right? So there was no wall surrounding the Kaaba. The water would come from the mountains. Makkah is a valley surrounded by mountains. And we've been to Makkah. We've seen the mountains around Makkah. The water and you see these regions. It's stormy. It's violent. Right? So you get flash floods as well. Why? Because the ground is, is hard like a rock. Literally. Literally. <laughs> literally literally right i've spent many years in Riyadh. you see when they want to dig the ground it's not like in, in greener countries where you can just take a spade and dig you can't it's rock hard underneath this it's absolutely dry there's no moisture whatsoever when water falls from the sky all you get is runoff you don't get seepage you only get runoff and obviously at that time there was no drainage so, the water would come and hit the Kaaba. So, when Rasulullah was 35, a storm happened, a flood happened, and the water around the Kaaba was so severe at that time that it caused the foundation of the Kaaba to become weakened. The Kaaba was on the verge of collapse, it needed to be reconstructed. Before we go to the reconstruction, a little bit about the cloth. This is just general knowledge for you all. The cloth that was on the Kaaba was on the Kaaba as a practice before Islam as it was a practice after Islam. Some say it goes back to Ismail alayhi salam, but I haven't come across anything any solid evidence to say Ismail alayhi salam did this. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But, but at the time of Rasulullah sallallahu before he became a prophet, the Kaaba was also covered. Was it covered in black, as we see today? No. It was covered in a plethora of different colors, sometimes white, sometimes green, sometimes yellow. And the scholars say, and uh, this I learned from Al-Hafid ibn Hajjar al-Asqalani in his writings, they say the black color came to the Kaaba. At the time of Nasir al-Abbas, he introduced this black color. He passed away in the year 622 after Hijrah, so very late after the passing away of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He introduced the black cloth, and after this black cloth was introduced, really was the color changed? Really was the color changed? Now the Kaaba we see today. This is carrying on from what I told you earlier, in terms of how the Ka'bah was then, the capital D. The Ka'aba we see today is not the Ka'aba that was constructed by Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail alayhi salam. Wa idi aarfa wa Ibrahim U Kawaidam in Albayti wa Ismail Rabban Minna inna Ka'inta Sami Ul Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the first juz in Suratul Baqarah. He tells us about Ibrahim alayhi salam and his son Ismail alayhi When Amen. they Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and built the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is an amazing ayah especially for you and I now in these last 10 days. This is a footnote. Every day I have to come with some footnotes. We see a specific instruction To build the Kaaba to specific people, Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail alayhi salam. And the place is specific as well. The Kaaba cannot be erected anywhere else besides this place. A specific instruction to specific people related to a specific place. No one else could have done this. No one else could have done this. It was impossible for anybody else to do this. But when these two prophets of Allah finish building the Kaaba, what do they say? Rabbana taqabbal minna. O our Rabb, accept this from us. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. As if there were other people that could do it. Like Salah, we read Salah and many read Salah and we ask Allah to accept from us. Not accept from others and not from us. This was specific and a specific instruction to specific people involving a specific place. No one else could have done this. No one else was in the running. This was an ibadah specific to Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail alayhi salam. But they say, رَبَّنَا Oh, our Rabb, accept from us. Brothers and sisters, our pious predecessors used to teach us, taught us in fact that the right of islam is to learn and the right of learning is to practice and the right and hub of practicing is to become more humble you want me to repeat it yes please the right of islam is to learn The right of the shahada, la ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, it's haqq, it's right, is that you learn. Imam al-Bukhari, rahmatullahi alayhi, has a whole chapter, an entire chapter, in his sahih. He's named it, baab ul-ilmi qabla al-qawli wal-aml. The chapter of knowledge before speech and action. The right of Islam is to learn. You cannot act before learning. And when you learn... The right of the knowledge which you've learned is to practice it and act on it. And when you act and Allah has blessed you towards His worship, the right of that is for you to become more humble. And we learn this from Ibrahim alayhi salam. They didn't become boastful. We did it. We special. Allah chose us. Specific instruction to specific people, specific place. High five, come on. <laughs> right? You're allowed to get happy. You're allowed to give each other a high five, inshallah, when you're happy that Alhamdulillah blessed you to work. But you understand what I'm saying? They didn't become arrogant. They didn't feel we are better than the next person. It wasn't the case that someone had a beard, so he felt better than the person who didn't have a beard. Or the sister wore the hijab, so she felt better than the sister who didn't. Or a brother attends the masjid for salah so he felt he's better than the person who doesn't and so on and so forth or a person worships allah and they feel they've reached a level of spirituality they've reached a level of spirituality and they begin to relax they become pleased with themselves no the right of worship is that you become more humble subhana rabbi ala they turn to Allah and say, Ya oh our Rabb, accept from us. Subhanallah, we don't know. We don't know if our deeds are accepted. And another example that substantiates what I'm saying and relevant to the nights that we are in is the hadith of Aisha رضي الله عنها. When she asked Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, If I witness the night of power, what should, what should I do? I do? What should, what should I, I, say? I say? What did what he tell her? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Say, Allahumma, innaka afu, tuhibhul afwa fa'afu anni. Allahumma, oh Allah, innaka indeed you. Afu, you are the effacer of sins. Not only do you forgive them, you wipe them out completely so that no trace is left behind. To hibbul afwa, you love to efface our sins. To remove them in a way that there's no trace, no angel, book can prove. That's how you forgive us. That's how you love to forgive us. and me, so efface my sins. This is what he taught us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now think about it. Think about it. She radiallahu anha has spent a month fasting. She spends the nights reviving the nights as per the instruction of Rasulullah sallallahu The best of generations, taking guidance from the best person to have walked the face of this earth. Being charitable, being diligent with the Quran, remembering Allah, worship after worship, worship after worship, worship after worship. worship, after worship. And Rasulullah tells her that if you see the night, ask Allah to forgive you. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Doesn't this teach us that the right of acting is to be more humble? Surely it does. There's a statement and I think it's attributed to Ali radiallahu A powerful statement. He says, Inna Allah has hidden two things in two things. Allah has hidden your knowledge of His acceptance of your ibadah when you worship Him. He's hidden it from you. Allah has hidden it from us. has hidden our knowledge of Him being happy after we worship Him from us. Allah has hidden it from us. And Allah has hidden the knowledge of His awliya from amongst you. What an amazing statement. And I think it is the statement of Ali radiallahu An amazing statement. Because wallahi, if you ponder over it, it teaches us to be humble after ibadah. And it teaches us to continue intending Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and never ever to relax. Think about it. Allah has hidden your knowledge of His happiness after you worship Him. He's hidden it from you. So you don't know. So what do you do? Do you relax? No. You carry on worshiping. You carry on striving. You say, رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ الْعَلِيمُ You say, أَلَّهُمَّ إِنَّكَ عَفُوٌّ تُحِبُّ الْعَفْوَ Ya Allah, even when I intend you, I'm so weak in my intention. I'm so weak in my application. I'm so weak in my effort. My ibadah is full of mistakes. And remember, it's not specific instruction. It's instruction to the ummah. So if, if Ibrahim said it, then we have a greater right to say, Ya Allah, oh, our Rabb, except for us. And O oh Allah, efface our sins. Forgive the weaknesses of our worship. Strengthen our worship and reward us in full. Indeed, Ya Allah, You are the Almighty and do not need our worship today. Your Majesty <laughs> is Your Majesty whether we worship <laughs> You or we don't. Ya yeah, Allah, forgiving us is nothing for you. Forgive us. Allahumma innaka tuhibbu afwa faafu'an. This is what worship mandates that you be more humble. If your worship and revival of the sunnah and looking after the instructions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes you to feel you are better than somebody else, hadari hadari. Be careful, my dear brothers and sisters. Be careful. You are not giving your worship its haq. That's dangerous. True worship grows humbleness within us. Because you know, you know, we have good hope in Allah. But we know that we don't know if Allah has accepted his happy. Us. So he says this, so we continue striving and looking after the rights of Allah. And he says, And Allah has kept hidden the knowledge of his awliya from amongst you, So you don't know who is from the awliya of Allah. What does this do to us? What does this do to us? It causes us to be good to everybody. It causes us to strive to look after the rights of everybody. Not pick and choose. Because Allah, through His divine wisdom, has kept knowledge of His awliya hidden from amongst us. So we be good to everybody. In the hope that one day, insha'Allah, we would have helped one person who is from the awliya of Allah. And they will raise their hands and make a dua for us. And that dua will be the opening of this dunya and akhirah. Ameen. Right? Right? A long footnote, but a necessary, necessary one. one. Given the night, given the setting, it's given light. the instruction. We're talking about <laughs> but, Let's come back to the lesson. The Kaaba that we see now is not the Kaaba that was constructed by It's not the same Kaaba. Not the same Kaaba. It is the Kaaba, not the same Kaaba that was constructed by Ibrahim al-Ismail alayhim al Because the Kaaba required rebuilding and renovation several times due to natural disasters and also due to man made disasters. Right? Certain wars, certain negligence caused the Kaaba to have a need to be renovated. And if we look at history until now, obviously our lesson is not about the history of the Kaaba. <coughs> but just for your own information, if you look at the, at the renovations that happened to the Kaaba, perhaps the last renovation, and Allah knows best, was the renovation that happened in 1996. During our time. Right? Who was born after 1996? Yeah. Anybody? Anybody? MashaAllah. After 96? 1996? You guys are young. Yeah. You forgot. You don't know. Huh? It could be 94. Maybe 94? 94? 94? No, 96. 96. <laughs> 96. 96. <laughs> 96. 96. MashaAllah, some people are so young, they're not even sure when they were <laughs> born. <laughs> 1996. Right? And this renovation, inshaAllah, will last a few centuries and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Why? Because the latest technology at the time and materials was used in. Renovating the Kaaba, the, the renovation that took place in 1996, the latest technology and materials was used to renovate the Kaaba. Uh, during the time stones were replaced and the foundation was made as strong as the foundation can be and a, a brand new roof was installed to the Kaaba. A brand new roof was also installed to the Kaaba. This is for your information. Now, when Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was 35 years old, the Kaaba became damaged. And the Quraysh, as we've had through our previous cities, were in charge of the affairs of the Kaaba. So, they had to do something about it. But, to do something about it, they had to demolish it. And every time they thought about demolishing it, they remembered 35 years ago, طَيْرًا Ababi, When birds with pebbles came and demolished an army of elephants. They said, how can we demolish the Kaaba? What are we going to do? Catch 22. Have you heard that phrase in the English language? Catch 22. We don't know what to do. Right? If we leave it, it's a problem. If we do it, it could be a problem. What do we do? And whilst they were debating and contemplating, there came Balid ibn al-mughirah a well-known prominent person from the Quraysh. Uh, he came and said, what do you want to do? He said, we need to break the Kaaba down. He says, are you breaking it to damage it and harm it, or to better it and fix it, to do good to it? He Said, of course, we're doing it to do good to it. So he said, Allah will not harm those who do good. But they were all. He do. He picked up his tools and he started demolishing the Kaaba. The other said, we'll wait. What we'll do, we'll wait. We'll see till tomorrow. If something happens to him, we won't continue. If nothing happens to him, we'll join him. Because why? We also want credit to our tribes, right? That we were part of the, the rebuilding of the Kaaba. We can't leave him. So they woke up the next day and they said, Hey, the man is fine. He went back, he continued. So they joined him, and they dug the Kaaba down to the foundation of Ibrahim alayhi salam and Ismail salam. Now what happened was they split the work between them, so each tribe could have the honor. And each and tribe worked on a portion of the Kaaba. Now Walid ibn al he said to them, this is the way forward. We will only use what you and I call, quote-unquote, halal money. Meaning, we will only use pure money. Interesting statement. Meaning, we don't want money from interest, usually. We don't want money from gambling. We don't want money. From alcohol And so on and so forth Only pure money
1: Money earned through trade
0: Through trade That is the only money which we want Or money through inheritance Any money which is considered pure That is the only money which we want So they gathered their money and they built the Kaaba Now What happened was Before The Kaaba was complete their Their money ran out Their money ran out this is the story why the semicircle in front of the queue is detached and just left as a raised wall. They didn't have money, so they said, What we will do is we will complete it in the way you see it. now. The Kaaba wasn't, had two doors in fact, it, an entry and an exit. Now it only has one door, right? And Rasulullah wa sallam, left the Kaaba as it was. And he told Aisha anha, if your people were not new Muslims, I would have returned the Ka'aba to the way of Ibrahim salam. Look at the wisdom of Rasulullah. Right? Allow Iman to settle in their hearts. Let's not we know this Kaaba is sacred to them. Right? But Iman is more sacred right now. Keeping them as Muslims. If we touch this Kaaba now, they will renounce Islam and we will be back in warfare. So Rasulullah sallallahu sallam, left it. After Rasulullah ﷺ, somebody came, constructed it to the original way. If my memory serves me right, and then it was constructed back to the way we find it now. And then when another leader of the Muslims came in, he consulted Imam Malik and said, Should we turn it back to its original way? Imam Malik said, No, leave it as it is. Because what we don't want now is for every new leader to come in and play with the kaaba." turn it this way and turn it that way. One will support what another leader did and say, let me take it, let me use that Ijtihad. And then another will say, no, Rasulullah sallallahu wanted it according to the way of Ibrahim and use that Ijtihad. So Imam Malik refused and the Kaaba is as we see it, uh, or, or is with the one do as we see it today. Now, they happily worked together building the Kaaba. This process brought them together, Alhamdulillah, until a point. And that was the point when they had the issue with the Hajar as well. Now, the Hajar Aswad obviously is one. We have to put it in its place. Which tribe should have the honor? The Quraysh were all responsible collectively for the affairs of the Kaaba, But which tribe we should have the honor of putting the stone in its place? So a big argument broke out. And it got ugly. When I say ugly, right? it got ugly. And it lasted a few days. And almost became a war now between the tribes. Allahu Akbar. It almost became a war between the tribes. Until Allah inspired the oldest man there. He said his name was Abu Umayyah ibn al-Mughira. And this is uh, Walid ibn al mughirah And here we have Abu Umayyah ibn al mughirah He said, look, let's, I have a solution. Let's try this solution. Listen, hear me out and let's see. If, it, if you agree, he said, what's your solution? He said, look, let's wait for the first person to walk through this door. And the first person that walks through this door, we will ask him to solve this problem. This is a noble task, building the Kaaba. Why should we be fighting? So they agreed. And lo and behold, the first person to walk through this door was a man to become a prophet. Muhammad wasallam 35 years of age. He walks in. When they saw him, they rejoiced. Not not one tribe, all of them rejoiced. Trustworthy one, we would not have anyone rather than other than him to judge in this affair, Allahu Akbar. So, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi said, "Get a cloth." He took the hajah, he put it in the middle, and he told each tribe to grab a piece of the cloth, an edge. Of the cross. And they did. And he said, now raise it to its place. And they raised it together. And he took it himself and he put it in. And they were all happy with this. Allah opens the hearts. Allah opens the hearts. Allah opens the hearts. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what happened. And this is the incident pertaining to the, the the reconstruction of the Kaaba. Now what lessons do we learn from this incident? We always have to have this part in our story time, the lessons, the benefits. Firstly, brothers and sisters, a lesson which is as clear as the Sun is that the Arabs knew pure sources of wealth from impure sources. Not so? Of course they knew it, because Walid ibn al-Mughira is saying we will only use pure sources for the Kaaba, which means they knew, they knew their wrongs, they knew what was filthy wealth, they knew this, right? They knew this, this is the first lesson that we get, and they knew this so well, so well how evil this money was from gambling, money from usury, money from alcohol, that even when they ran out of money, they said rather leave the Kaaba incomplete, than using bad money to complete it. Look at, look at, look at this. Look how they valued, how sacred the Kaaba was to them. You can understand why Rasulullah sallallahu left the Kaaba as it was. Right? It was so sacred to them that rather leave it as it is, incomplete. Then, to use improper money to finish it. Subhanallah. This is an amazing lesson, brothers and sisters. You know, today we have what we call dirty money. They said we will not use dirty money on the Ka'bah. Now, brothers and sisters, this was the way of people of disbelief. This was the way of people of disbelief. They could not attach filth to something sacred. What about you and I today? Who are people of belief. And we have the sacred thing known as Iman. How many of us attach interest to our Iman? This is a lesson. Inshallah, we're not from them. But this is something which exists in communities and a great lesson which we need to touch on here. I'm just trying to bring it closer to us. Look, we know who the people of Jahiliyyah. were. These ignorant people, we say they were ignorant, but they would rather leave the Kaaba unfinished than use filthy money. This is too sacred for this money to go there. Rather leave it unfinished than pollute it with this dirty money. You and I have Iman and Islam. This is immensely sacred, my dear brothers and sisters. But how many times do we find that people pollute the sacredness? with dirty money, with usury and riba, with a phenomenon, a practice, an evil practice, which has a mighty punishment, taught to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his book. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, بِحَرْبٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ If you don't leave riba, if you don't leave interest, then understand that a war has been declared, we have declared war, What's between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his Rasul, and Allah who can win in a war against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his Rasul, alayhi, rasool, alayhi If they were ignorant, what is the state of a person who does this today? People of Iman and Islam, this was before Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, came to them. 5 years before look look at the people of Jahiliyyah. so what do you say about a person who does this after Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa came to them wallahi brothers and sisters riba is nothing but evil nothing you say or do can justify it even if you say i live in a capitalist riba society this will not make any this will not add any value any goodness to riba and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, I'm amazed at how Shaitan has deceived some people. Where Shaitan deceives them, they say, I'm not taking riba, I'm paying riba. There's nothing wrong. Allahu Akbar. Right? I'm not paying, it. I'm not taking, I'm not eating it, I'm paying it. That's what we hear from some people. Right? This is a deception. Some people say, why is it bad? There's no oppression. Riba was, was forbidden because of oppression. I have excess money, there's a friend of mine who needs money, he wants the money, he's not going to feel oppressed if I give him if I lend it to him based on interest. I win and he wins, win win. This is how some people Shaytan deceive some people. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The Sharia is far more wise than you and I. And the Sharia looks after the benefit of the majority than the minority. The Sharia knows that, yes, maybe, if two people only practice riba, they they won't be harmed. But the Sharia knows if it becomes a community practice, they will be harmed. So the Sharia cancels any benefit you can bring to justify it. Any benefit is cancelled. Any benefit. You know in economics, who studies economics here? Anybody? Economics, have you heard of the fallacy of composition? No, the fallacy of composition. Economists talk about this, right? The fallacy of composition. The fallacy of composition refers to this stingy attitude where you only look at you and you benefiting only. You don't look at the harms that come about as long as you benefit. I'll give you an example. They use this story too, to make us understand the fallacy of composition. They say one day there was a shortage of milk. So the king erected a mighty steel jug in the middle of the city. And told everyone, when you milk your goats today, you have to deposit just one glass of milk in this big mighty jug. Just one cup. You'll have a jug, only one cup deposited. If everybody deposits, we have a full jug. And then the king can use it to feed the poor people and so on and so forth. Right? So one bright spark, he said, I'll go at night when it's dark. And I'll have with me a cup of water. Who's gonna know? Cup of water. Nobody's gonna see it's dark. There were no street lights then. And I'll drop a cup of water inside this jug. And I'll benefit and the jug will benefit. I'll have my jug of milk and this jug, the level will increase. Right? We'll dilute with the milk and there'll be increase. Win-win. Remember? Win-win situation. I benefit, he benefits. Where's the oppression? What happened? The next day they opened the lid. And what did they find? A jug of water. They found a jug of water. Everybody thought like this bright spark. They were all bright sparks. Everyone was depositing a night cups of water. You see when everybody does a practice, what happens? Is there harm or benefit? Harm. So the sharia cuts the door, closes the door. Doesn't leave it open to ijtihad. The sharia knows that if the community as a whole practice riba, you can only have harm. So it blocks out any benefit you can dream of. It says your benefit is obsolete. It is harm. Like alcohol. Allah tells us in the Quran there's benefit for it. But the sin is far greater than the benefit. The sin is far greater than the benefit. Thus Allah said, Stay away from it so that you can be successful. The Sharia knows that a riba society is a society that will create debt far faster than wealth creation. Think about it. Think about it. Debt creation in a riba society is far greater than wealth creation. This is common sense. And a riba society will cause wealth to shift to one segment of society. It won't have wealth distributed amongst everybody. Why? Because Allah has distributed the wealth based on divine wisdom. Some people have more wealth than others. Some people have no wealth. So people will need to borrow. If the people who have... Allah has given the rich man a chance to worship Allah by lending, right? (coughs) Allah has given the rich man a chance to worship Allah by lending. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the poor person less money so he can go and create an opportunity for the rich man to worship Allah where he asks for a loan. If this person asks for a loan, and the loan comes with an interest clause, what happens? When you want to start a business today, how long does it take for your business just to break even? Just to break even. Forget about profit making. To make your business break even, you probably need 10 months, 6 months, depending on the nature of the business, maybe one year. And then when you go into a profit, it's a slow profit. 1%, 1 1.5%, half a percent, quarter of a percent, not so? You don't know, you don't have businesses yet. Inshallah when you do, you'll know. Right? Now, before you break even and strike a profit, your debt meter has been climbing. Why? Because for riba, for, for, for interest to happen, you only need the second hand on the clock to tick. That's all you need. But to make money, you need time, not seconds, time and effort. To dig gold out of the ground needs time and effort. You need to plow, you need to go deep, you need to extract, then you need to. You need to run it through a process before it can be value. Before it can be gold of value. That takes time. But if you borrowed money from the bank, it would probably take you a few months to get gold out of the ground. You borrowed a hundred dollars, by the time you got the gold out, you owe them hundred and fifty or two hundred. You see what's happened? Debt creation surpasses wealth creation. Debt creation, wealth creation. Debt creation, wealth creation. Debt creation, wealth creation. So what happens? What happens? There's not enough wealth in society. There's not enough money to meet this debt. That's why you have a crash, a financial, the, the, what do they do? They have to write off the debts. It's common sense. The sharia knows this. So the sharia says, if you lend, intend Allah only, no benefit in the dunya. Meaning physical, but you will get rewards from Allah, and Allah will give you barakah in your sustenance, inshaAllah, and increase your wealth for you. But if you give, you can only take the principle. You cannot take more. Allow that person to have the profits that he gained, and, and become independent in society. The sharia also knows, this is how the sharia builds an economic, sustainable society. Because the sharia knows, that if more people in society are trading, trading, this is gonna grow the economy. Wealth creation is gonna increase in society, because more people are practicing real trade. And subhanallah, it's amazing. Even today, they will tell you, you have the financial market, And the real market subhanallah what's the real market surely the real market is more appealing to us they say the real market is where you trade properly the financial market is the fake market you know where money grows and there's really nothing it's all interest right and society today causes wealth to be stuck in the financial sector because everyone in the real sector is a slave of the bank because they've borrowed their house They've borrowed money for their house, they've borrowed money for their car, they've borrowed money for their business. So these people, whatever profit they're making, gets sucked back into one end of society. Allah doesn't want this. Allah doesn't want one segment of society to be able to create wealth. It's not healthy for the economy. And that is why we have the institution of zakah. Zakah. Zakah is not just an obligation, it's an economical system if you understood this brothers and sisters. Because you have to, have to and have to, take two and a half percent, because Allah is so wise, two and a half percent and give it to the poor person. So they can start trading as well. Money is shared and not stuck only with the rich. And when they trade, they contribute to the economy, even though it's a small way, but there's contribution, and you contribute as well. When the zakah is given, the months after zakah should see the economy grow. This is Zakah. It's a financial system. Many of us think it's just an obligation. No, it's we playing our part as well towards the development of the economy. This is a must. This is how robust the Sharia is when it looks at matters and makes matters permissible and makes matters haram. If only we knew. I wish this was an economics lesson. Wallahi, I can talk till Fajr. Because this matter of riba is a serious one. Right? And that's why with Zakah, the Sharia teaches us to distribute our Zakah locally first from the outset you distribute locally you don't send it out because distributing locally helps you grow your own economy and helps make people who are zakat takers today zakat payers tomorrow sustainable economies sustainable economies allahu akbar i need to keep quiet now and move on with the lesson for today there's two principles in the sharia darul mafsada muqaddamun ala maslaha al maslaha al muqaddama ala maslahat these are principles in the sharia that the prevention of a harm takes precedence over the attainment of a benefit you can say it's a win win if i if we do it between us but the prevention of a harm takes precedence over any benefit you can attain the sharia will block out that benefit and ensure the harm is prevented also The benefit of the majority takes precedence over the benefit of the minority. You can say, it's my money, he's my friend, he won't feel oppressed, he won't feel harmed, he wants the money, he wants to pay riba. It's a win-win. We say, the benefit of the majority takes precedence over the benefit of the minority. It Doesn't matter what you consider to be a win-win, right? What matters is what benefits everybody. These are two principles in the shari'ah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Maybe the brothers can cut the segment and upload it as a financial segment um, uh, for people to listen to. Because wallahi, you know, when I read the seerah and I see Walid ibn al-Mughira and what the Quraysh are doing and I look at some of our brothers and sisters now, wallahi, it's hard to comprehend. People of Islam, people of iman, people that live in communities where the Islamic revival is on. We have lectures such as these, the masajid, the khutbahs are in English now, we understand them. The internet is full of information, walillah, alhamd. The Qur'an has come to us in the English language as well. And still we we can't comprehend. And here we have people who are known as the people of ignorance and jahiliyyah, before Islam, they're saying, that is sacred, don't pollute it with this bad wealth. And wallahi, my dear brothers and sisters, we get riba, and we pollute our children and our wives and our families because we buy them food with that money, we pay for the school fees with that money. Allah will What barakah do you want to happen in your life? Wallahi, yamhaqullahu اللَّهُ riba. Allah will annihilate riba. will remove every piece of goodness, blessings from it. Make it debased. There's no goodness that will come to it. When you see problems in your home brothers and sisters, stop and think. Do I have a, am I in riba at the moment? Have I asked Allah to forgive me from it? Ask Allah to forgive you from it. Now I'm not saying that you should default on your, on, your, on, your, on your loans now. You know, just say, right bank, I'm not paying you anymore. I've become practicing Muslim today. I've asked Allah for forgiveness. And you know that debt I took, khalas, I'm not paying it back. It's against my I'm not saying that. You know, now you have to pay it because you entered it. But seek forgiveness from Allah and don't touch another loan again. That's an interest loan. Inshallah. Inshallah. Tayyib. Now, we also learned from this, brothers and sisters the wisdom of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And this wisdom is not strange because we know he was being nurtured from before he was born. Remember, we spoke about this. The experiences he had drafted a mind and understanding that nobody else had. Some of you might say, what wisdom was it? He just told them, put a cloth and put the stone in the middle. Anyone could have thought about this. No. Not anyone. You don't know who the Quraysh were. As I said, they had swords drawn. Brothers and sisters, you and I, with swords drawn? Never mind thinking about a cloth. <laughs> we'll, we'll be thinking about our exit only. Right? That's what we'll be thinking about. Right? So, we learn from this the amazing wisdom of Rasulullah Wasallam was swords drawn. He thought, of, he thought of a plan. Right? He thought of a plan and this plan worked. Indeed, his... Uh, decision, his statement, his advice was not just any advice. It was historical advice. Historical advice. And indeed it was, we are talking about it today. We are talking about it today. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for those who ponder, was making him ready to receive prophethood. Because five years later he did. And part of prophethood was to unite the Arabs. Was to unite the ummah. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had a mini moment to unite them. Did he not unite them at that moment? when they were about to fall into warfare, he united them. So there was a, a, a mini moment for him of his abilities, of the abilities that he had and that he was ready and ripe to receive the prophethood. We also learn from this, my dear brothers and sisters, and this is important, and this is for those who, who think deep, who think deep. We learn from this, how important it is, for an Islamic scholar, for a da'i, for a propagator, for a Muslim, for a teacher, for a parent, to mix with the community. Now where do we learn this from? Somebody might say, hold on a second, where, where is this lesson coming from? It's coming from the fact that they knew that Rasulullah wasallam was trustworthy. Where did they know this from? From him hiding away in a cave from them? No. No. He used to mix with them in that, which was halal. And he was who he was. His character oozed out of him. Whoever he met immediately, they, they took they understood that, you know what, there's something about this person. But the point to note is, he wasn't in a cave. Some people say, you know, you know what? We need to stay away from the community. There's this evil, there's that evil. We just lock ourselves up and be isolated. How? This is not from the way of da'wah. How are you going to allow people to hear the good you're going to say? Firstly. Secondly, if you're just going to come out of your cave one day and tell people this is wrong, they're going to say, who on earth are you? (laughs) Where did you come from? Which cave did you come from? And they would have been right, (laughs) right? You have to have relevance with the people creation of relevance happens when you mix with the people yes rasulullah sallallahu was not part of their alcohol parties was not part of the evil practices and so on and so forth but they had good practices like the hilf al fudul we discussed the other day he went to it sallallahu he was taken to it so the halal things that they did quote and quote halal meaning that which was not bad rasulullah sallallahu we learn from this that he must have gone because they would not have held him in such a high regard if he was someone not known to them. Is this clear, brothers and sisters? We must take this point. And even for parents, mix with your children. You have to have relevance with them. If you're just doing work, 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 when they come to you, Baba, you say, I'm busy. I'm in a meeting. I have a phone call. This, how will you have relevance with them? Tomorrow you're going to want to teach them something, you expect them to listen to you? They're going to say, who are you? Where were you all this time? I've already have advisors, the neighbors been advising me. I thought that that's my advisor. And you see this when kids become of age, teenagers, and they start having a form of independence, and they start realizing life, right? They'll tell you, where were you? Where were you when I used to come to you, you used to say, that's so why I tell the, my fathers, my dear fathers, Wallahi, Wallahi, Wallahi. Your words, emotional support to your children is far greater than any business deal you can be on. Wallahi. If you only knew, it was better for you to tell a person on the phone, hold on, give me one minute. Even if he was the president of whichever country. And say, yes, my dear son, what is it? You know, when you're, when, when you're on the phone, and your son comes to you, Baba, 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 Daddy, Dad. You say, yes. And you say, shh, I'm on the phone. You know? If you gave him a chance, he, and, you know, and, and you say, what did you want to tell me? He says, there's a butterfly. You say, There's enough butterflies around. <laughs> this is wrong. If only you, 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 you went back in time and you could, and you'd say, excuse me, just hold on one second here, one second. Yes, my dear son, what is it? There's a butterfly, where's the butterfly? There, wow. How many colors does it have? How many legs does it have? Look at, does it have wings? How many wings does it have? Okay, carry on looking at it. My dear son, give me two minutes, I'll be with you shortly. And what effect will that have to your child? You turn that, that, the emotion that he had into an educational experience. He will never forget that lesson. You made him learn about colors, that butterflies have colors, that they have so many legs, they have just, just that few seconds. Wallahi, we, are, we always act in haste. That's our problem. May Allah forgive us. May Allah forgive us, right? So, brothers and sisters, We learn from this, how to mix with the people, mix with our children, make sure you create relevance with them, make sure you keep them within your sphere of influence. We talk about spheres of influence. Spheres of influence are kept when you're relative with the people. I tell my brothers and sisters in the da'wah, you know the da'wah is becoming very strategic, Alhamdulillah, very uh, orchestrated, very structured. I tell my brothers and sisters, even if you are the the ameer, the head, make sure with the last volunteer in your team, you have a meal with him. Have a meal with the last volunteer. It's good for team morale. It's good for the creation of relevance. So tomorrow when you need to speak up and advise, it's taken in an amicable way. It's not taken with the wall of resistance. Is this clear? Some of us wanna be, well, no, this is my position, you gotta do what I shouldn't be doing, and so on and so forth. And then you expect them to listen to you tomorrow when you advise them, this is wrong. With our children, in the da'wah, as teachers in school, sit with your children, listen to them, Lower yourself to the level, share some child stories, create relevance. The issue here, we learn from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the way to effect quantum leaps in society is to make sure you've created relevance. Relevance between you and the people. You've brought them without them knowing into your sphere of influence. Did the Quraysh know they were within the sphere of influence of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? No. But they learned that day that they were. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. We also learned, my dear brothers and sisters, and this is the last thing I'll say, the importance of good character. The importance of good character. What did they say about Rasulullah Wasallam? He's short, he's tall, he's handsome. No. The trustworthy person, good character. They were happy to take from him. And wallahi, brothers and sisters, I've gone through the Qur'an, and I've gone through the seerah, the best people who walked the face of this earth, people took from them because they had good character. Look at Yusuf When he went into the prison, two inmates were put with him into the prison. And they saw this dream. Now they need help. Who should we ask? We don't know anybody here. They look around and subhanallah, they come to Yusuf. Out of everyone in the prison, they said, let's go ask this guy. Why? Because he had good character. How do we know? When they, told the, when they told him about their dream and asked for help, what did they say? إِنَّا min al muhsinin. We see you from the people who do good. Look at that. In such a short period of time, they immediately said, this guy does good, he must be a person who can help us. Allahu Akbar. Good character. Brothers and sisters, The heaviest thing, that will be on our scales of good deeds on the day of qiyamah, is the taqwa, God consciousness, and good character. Good character. We need to improve our characters. Yesterday, when we spoke about marriage issues, we spoke about having good character in the marriage as well. Wallahi, what will make us understand the importance of good character, the importance of smiling. You know, Rasulullah Wasallam said, in a hadith, I'm trying to remember the source. But the hadith is authentic and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. He said sallallahu that one of the people that the hellfire has been made forbidden over is a person who is a person who is gentle and soft, a person who brings happiness into people when he meets them all the time and not only with... A select group of people. No, the hadith is general with the children, with his spouse, with his employees, with his employers, with his parents, with his community. When they see him, they feel happy. He brings happiness to them. He brings, brings glad tidings to them. He smiles and he's, he, he's willing to give a helping hand. Good character, brothers and sisters. He speaks a good word. He doesn't have any vulgarity, there's, there's no vulgar speech that comes out from him. He's not vulgar in his actions. He has patience. When someone speaks, he listens and he pays attention. He might not agree with what they're saying, but he will listen attentively as if he agrees to what they're saying. He makes the speaker feel special. Make the speaker feel special. And when he speaks also, he remembers that the person I'm speaking to is more important than the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes, subhanallah, the point we're trying to make is so important to us, we forget about the person. And we end the conversation having hurt their feelings. Say, you'll never understand. There's something wrong with you. No. they remember, the person is more important than the point I want to make. Good character, when they speak, they speak what they mean, and they mean what they speak. Good character. When they live, they teach us how to die in their living. And when they die, they teach us how to live in their dying. Subhanallah. When they live, sorry, when they live, they teach us how to die. And when they die, they teach us how to live. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Amazing people. This is the Muslim, my dear brother and sister. This is the follower of Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alaihi wa May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding. Brothers and sisters, may Allah make this worship part of our worship for, the night of, or for this particular night, this 21st night. We have good hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is with us as we perceive Him. If we perceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have accepted this from us as worship, Allah will. And we perceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be merciful, Allah will be merciful upon us. And we perceive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be the most forgiving over us and He will forgive us. Let's have good hope in Allah. Let's have good hope in Allah. And whenever the evil of yourself tells you in the next few days that you know what, I'm tired. You know what, I can't. I want you to remember the hadith of Jibreel. When he said and made du'a that curse be upon the one who witnesses the month of Ramadan and he's not forgiven. And Rasulullah wasallam said, Ameen. Remember this and let this be your motivator. That I will not finish Ramadan except that, Allah, except that I'm from the freed slaves from the hellfire. Except that Allah has forgiven me, and accept that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has accepted this month. You take the means, brothers and sisters. You take the means, and you have good hope in Allah. Okay? I love you all for the sake of Allah. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and He's perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaitan, and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Insha'Allah, tomorrow, we will discuss Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam becoming a prophet, insha'Allah. hadha Wallahu a'ala wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanaka Allahumma wa bihamdika nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Barakallahu fiikum shakrallah lakum. <laughs>